Um, let me bring up Trello. Oh, did you put it in Trello? No, I put. Uh, I just our show notes are in Trello. Or in my booklet. Oh. I'm using this thing a lot more frequently. What is it? Just a notebook. Just a plain old dirty, notebook. dirty yeah. old notebook. Notebooks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got like, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people out there being fancy with their moleskines, moleskins, whatever. I have plenty of those myself. Yeah. I have plenty of those myself. Ooh, do you have one of these, though? Look at this. Like a fancy leather one? Oh, a fancy hardback one with like Ooh. pattern on it. And then Ooh, I, have I like this. that. This is not, I don't know what this is. This is called Work Happy. I like this one. This one's very nice. Look, it's like compact size, fits right into my yes. bag. Wood, and then it's got yeah. this little, this thing right here. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then the I want to imagine privacy <laughs> strap. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 but it's like, it's pretty neat. It's like um, got lines on it, you know, but it's got like headers. See the header on the top? Oh, that's nice. That I like that a lot. It's got like a like a two-line dealie over on the far yeah. right. And you then it's got a like date. a Yeah, you could do a date. Or a this location. A, right. This could be a planner. This could be a journal. Yeah. This could be a sketchbook. Um, it's really, really good. And then in the back, it's got one of those little pockets. Oh, right. Yeah. Just so you can put your flowers color. in there. Ooh, I could put all my pressed flowers in there. <laughs> yes. I want to get, um, I, I haven't found non insanely expensive ones, but I'd really like to find, um, some nice binding booklets that are like a graph paper, but not graph dots dots. Yeah. Yes. Because that would be really nice for sketching. And especially when I, you know, cause I've been doing a lot I've been getting back into a little bit of sketching, not of, of like cartoon characters and stuff, but in terms of just uh, the built, like my house. Cause I want to, yes. I've been working on like layout plans and, and my wife and I've been talking about all these things We're like, Oh yeah, we, we can build this edition and do this thing. And I'm like, yeah, cost pending. Yes. <laughs> and I can't, I can't get to cost pending if I don't have measurements and, and relative, like even remotely yes. accurate drawings. Dude, we just did that. Uh, we just built a um, my. We just built a swing set and um, oh yeah, yeah, and the privacy fence in the backyard. Oh my gosh, dude, the privacy fence. We just stained it. We got we finished staining it last night. It is mm. great. It like it's just like a like a single like it's eleven by like seven and a half feet. Okay, um, right, but it like blocks us from ha- from looking at our neighbor's porch when we're on our porch. Right. Um, and, but it's like, and it's, we, we just put some plants in there. It's like, it's really, really nice uh, to nice. actually sit out there now because it feels like you're outside, but in a room, but not in your own space. Top. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you're in this, it's really cool. And then yeah. the kids love the swing set. We, we stain that too. Um, and, and they, they really like it. So. That's cool. But I've been, I've been on like, um, after doing those two things, I've been on this kick, like, like what you're talking about right now. Uh, I want to tell you though, before I forget, there is a service out there and I will ping you with it later. And then I'll also post it on our Facebook page. Okay. Um, and it's like, you can order custom notebooks with custom lines, graph or dots. Ooh. Yeah. 
So, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll paste that to you later. I, I came yeah. across it. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I want to keep this in mind because, um, I like dots too. I really like dots. Yeah. And that's like a good reasonable business expense. Yeah, exactly. Cause you could, I mean, you could bulk order. I think you can bulk order like three for 20 or something like that, which that's for notebooks. Amazing. And they're, yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're like this size maybe. Yeah, that's fine. So, you know, they're not, they're not like big, you know, composition no. notebook size, but, but anyway, that'd be, that'd be good because like these things are fine, but they're, they're, these are those like the paperback moleskin ones and they're just, they're flimsy and they're, they're, the size is okay, but not good. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like a hairline too big for a general desktop and I got a big desktop. So yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. But yeah, I know I, my, my next, that's like, I have, I have like three things on my list right now. List. Ooh. The first thing on my list is, um, so I have a standing desk, but uh-huh. it's just sitting in the garage and I keep like thinking, well, maybe I'll bring it into my office, but my wife doesn't like it in the office. Cause my office is also sort of like a guest room. We have people over. Okay. And the desk I have right now is a really super nice writing desk. Like I, I don't want it right. to sound like my wife doesn't, you know, Oh, I don't like that. You know, it's not like that. He <laughs> doesn't like the way that my standing desk looks because it's very functional. I'm a very functional sort of modern yeah, yeah. Like, style type person. So it's like an Ikea desk. That's a black yeah. top with white legs. Um, and I agree. It does not go with our home decor. It doesn't go with this room. It's like right. completely out of place. It's a sore thumb. Um, but I really like having a standing desk, but there's just right. nowhere to put it. So I've basically stuck it in my garage because the height of the desk when it's all the way up is perfectly underneath my wall cabinet, but oh. perfectly on top of like right over top of my compressor. Nice. Um, but I already That's... have a workbench. That's the problem is I already have a uh. really nice wooden workbench and this is just sitting sort of next to it. So it takes up like two feet of my, or a foot and a half of my workbench is like hidden in the corner because I can't access it because this right. other table is right up against it. So anyway, I'm, so I'm, it's, I, it's in a wrong place. <laughs> yeah. I need, what I need to do is I need to get rid of that. I need to yeah. sell it um, and get rid of it completely and finish cleaning the garage, my work area in the garage. So there's that. Then I need to, um, I really need to build a lumber cart. Okay. Uh, for the garage. And um, I really need to clean my office. These are good and then, tasks. And then, dude, I'm not, I gotta set, I gotta, I gotta, sh- I found plans for a like self contained workshop, like workbench shop uh-huh. sort of dealy. Anyway, it uses oh, a regular, like with all the, okay, go ahead. It uses a regular corded drill, a regular uh-huh. corded router, a yeah. regular jigsaw, uh, a regular circular saw. And you like attach it to this yeah. like, plywood box and it I, turns into a table saw, a drill press, a sanding disc. I think, disc, I think right? I've seen this. I think I've yeah. seen this because I saw some guy. He, I swear to God, the guy in the video looked like 19 or 21, like mm-hmm. young as hell. And he's like, oh, I'll just build this thing. And he's flippity flopping all the bits and pieces. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, that's really cool because I just finished my workshop uh yeah where I, I have a cool dungeon door that you go through um which i think i've sent you pictures of 
Yeah. And, and it's actually just a car tent, but it has kitchen cabinets in it from an old kitchen as the workbench, which is sufficient for my needs. Sure. Um, and then I made a little bench that my table saw can sit on so I can actually push like a full sheet along and actually have it supported onto the bench then. Uh-huh. But um, no, I saw, I saw a video with a guy having a similar thing to what you're talking about where it flips and folds out all the parts to do everything. And I'm like, that'd be so sweet because I've always wanted, and it, like I said, and I mean, when I say always, I mean for the last like 15 years, wanted a mountable router that I could put a fence beside so I could mm-hmm. be able to push things through the router and get nice clean edges on stuff. Yes. Because that is something that is very important. Well, I was telling you, I used to work, I used to do custom mold making. Yeah. And um, I mean, the shop I worked in was like an old air aircraft hangar, you know, like. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, it was just like an old aircraft hangar that they'd converted into a shop. And so like we had air hoses running all through the ceiling. Right. Um, no matter what station you're at, you could always, and they were all on springs, like spring loaded, oh, that's pulled, nice. you know, things. So you just pull the air hose down. But when you're walking around, you didn't, weren't hitting your head on air hoses. No. Um, it was like a nice big table saw that had a, a like a, um, uh, a work table beyond it. So you could push, right. you could push, um, an eight foot piece of plywood right through that. Yeah. Right? And it, like no problem. Um, there was a huge disc sander. I'm talking the disc on it must have been like, like this big, right? So you yeah. could get some really good material and get like a nice flat edge. You could bevel it. You could do all sorts of stuff. Oh, there was a cool. lathe, um, and there was a nice bandsaw and a drill press right next to it. So like, and they were like the big ones. So you could do some really thick material with it. Yeah. And so ever since then, like I had that job when I was 25, until That's I was like 27. Yeah. And ever since then, I have wanted that exact setup because I, with that setup, I can make anything, oh, anything. anything, but yeah. like I live in like suburbia, <laughs> yeah. I, my, you know, my, my easement between me or like the, the distance between my, the edge of my house and the edge of the neighbor's house is like less than 10 feet, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I have a backyard and it's nice. It's nice for what we need it for, but I'm not going to put an aircraft hangar back there, you know? <laughs> um, so the space is limited. So I f- anyway, I found these plans and it's going to get me like, I don't know, like, you know, 50% of the way to the, where I want to be. It's got a, a yeah. drill press. It's not a great drill press, but it's going to get me a, a pretty much a 90 degree hole, which is yeah. nice. You um, get like a micro version of it. Yeah. Ultimately. And the whole build, um, I think he said tools not included, but the whole build is like 400 bucks with wood oh, that's and fine. switches and electronics and everything. Yeah. 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 Um, which is awesome. Like I already yeah. have all the tools I don't need. And I m- like most of the tools that I'm, the reason why I wanted to get it was because, mm-hmm. or why I wanted want to build it is because all the tools you put in it are all like the tools that I have where I'm like, uh, this is kind of old. I should probably get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I have an old circular saw that's just like, I mean, it is all old. <laughs> it's so old that like the cord rotted off so there's an extension oh, no. cord yeah like, it's been spliced into an extension cord it's a really <laughs> nice job like it's a really good splice but it's, it's fine. an extension cord yeah it's it's fine it's fine yeah <laughs> so um but anyway uh, it would be great to like have all that 
encapsulated in a box. Yeah. Great thing is, is that it's not run by like reaching underneath and, you know, doing something. He's got all the buttons zip tied. Oh, okay. Everything is wired into its own um, circuit. So you just switches and then to turn anything off you um, there's two like flaps, you know, you lift the flap up to turn it on, but you hit the flap and it turns whatever you're doing off. Yeah. That's like, so the table saw I just got, that's how it's little flap works. It's like you can flip up the thing to like prevent you from turning it on. Yes. Like a little, like a lock switch on it. But then by default, it's just down. You just tap it. Whereas to turn it on, you have to like stick your finger through a hole and navigate a on button. And you're like, ha ha, solve that problem. <laughs> but no, that's pretty sweet. I, I, I want to see pictures when you get through that. Yeah, I'm going to take pictures as I go. And then I might post up a big, like, because he, like, his plans are like, hey, if you, if you build this and finish it, post it up on our website. We'd, we'd love to see oh, you know, cool. a review of it and whatnot. So I thought about like really taking my time, making the whole thing out of like MDF. So it's like Mm -hmm. all nice and smooth and just looks nice. And then like paint it and, you know, make it look like a really good piece. Yeah. Because the box itself, I mean, the box itself can be forever. Yeah. And if the tool breaks, you just unscrew the tool and you buy a new one and you screw that new tool in. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? The way you want things to be. <laughs> and because like this, the, 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 I think the, the primary like aha for me was I want a table saw. I want a table saw. Yeah. But a table saw alone is 450, 500 bucks for a, yeah. a like a, a not, for a, not a great one. one, you know? Yeah. Like um, I got, I got mine. It was on 20% off sale. It was three ninety nine mm-hmm. Canadian. Yeah. And that's not cheap. By no, no means, but I, I got that and it's the thing that I had to make sure of and it, and it's so, it, in my mind, it's so trivial and I, I didn't even realize I had to look for it was uh, the rip width. Yeah. Cause they have a maximum rip width on the, the little ones. Yeah. Whereas I grew up with my dad's like <laughs> $4,000 industrial table saw at my disposal. Right. And so, I mean, that thing you could do five foot rips if you wanted to. It didn't matter. We had the space for it and everything, which sounds like your, your work gig. We actually did have a rip with max, but it didn't matter for us because um, the only thing we ever really uh, cut was plywood. Oh, Um, yeah. yeah. And so that's all we did too. Yeah. And so really ultimately the, the, the maximum width you're ever going to rip on a piece of plywood is four feet. Right. Yes. Because yeah. Otherwise you're being silly. Right. Otherwise you're making it hard on yourself. Yeah. You're, you're being dangerous for no reason. You're trying to create eight foot Frisbees. Yeah. It it was so, I saw this, this video. It was just a fluke. I was on YouTube because I never go on YouTube because I hate it. It's filled with just garbage. But I did watch a funny video on there where it was like, here's all the things you're doing wrong on a table saw. And I'm like, well, let's just see what I'm doing wrong. Don't watch every nothing. I didn't do, I'm not doing anything wrong. It is. It's just like, it's so, (laughs) you know what? I I have given up on lists. Like (laughs) 
dude, I see things like 20 programming languages you need to learn in 2020. And it's like, <laughs> skip, skip that one. Or, or t- seven CSS tricks you can't live yeah. without. I skip, done. Because yeah. the list, okay, number one, the list is never good. No. Number two, rarely are any of those things useful. I don't care what topic it's on. I'm not talking about just, you know, JavaScript nope, or CSS yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I'm talking about like table saw skills you need to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, no. You know what you need to do? Don't cut your fingers off. Yeah. Okay. Don't lean over it. Yeah. And uh, hold on. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's it. Like, you know, like just don't kill yourself, please. Well, exactly. It was just kind of funny the way anyway. he was describing, he was describing things that to me were like, well, duh. Um, Cause what? Like, it it's not i don't know but maybe i'm just maybe we're jaded maybe we had too much experience yeah in the I real think, world with it i think those videos are for like people who have never used a table saw that's what yeah, i have like to assume who didn't, who didn't grow up like we did i think yeah you know like i same thing because i could like, see i could see people making some of those mistakes like the one was was even just as simple as um in which way do you apply the most pressure when you're pushing a piece through? And yes. if you, if you've never done it, yeah, you, you may not realize just how you can bind the blade and how that will snap back and then hit you. And you will be in a lot of pain if not dead. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the funniest one was the guy's like, never freehand ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Right, like you just you always use a guide with a table saw. Yeah. That being said, I have a very distinctive memory when I was I I swear I was like fifteen or so. My grandpa and I were working on something. He's like, "Oh, we gotta cut this." So he just pops the table saw on and just freehand cuts uh, several things. I'm yeah. like, "You're gonna die. This is I a mean, bad idea." I I have freehanded some table saw stuff. Okay. But. Never large material. I've never yeah. done it larger because that that's asking for problems. Even it's with a true. even with a fence, yeah, you have to be e- extremely cognizant of exactly what's going on there. I, exactly. I guess yeah, I, I could see that. Like, I, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to to describe to somebody um, the kind of bravery and fear you have to stare down when you really get into using a table saw with some yeah. real stuff. Like when you're building things with table saw, cause I've seen, I've seen a table saw legit toss a piece of MDF plywood, an eight by four sheet oh, of yeah. MDF plywood, like seven feet across a shop. Luckily oh, wow. not striking anybody, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, it's powerful. Like they're even powerful. the little ones are incredibly powerful. Yeah. And when they grip the wrong way, you just duck for cover. Like, have you seen the table saws where um, they stop if they hit like flesh? Yeah. Or, or like, imitation, like a, a hot dog. A hot I dog. Hot I saw dog. the yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw yeah. the guy like put a hot yeah. dog like, through the <laughs> and table you just saw. Watch the thing just go like boom, and it just yeah, it just dead stop. It, it hit it and it didn't even break the skin of the hot dog. It just yeah. And I'm like, yeah. get out of here. No I know. way. I no want way. it. I would never trust it. Well, no, no. I mean, you shouldn't. I would anyway. never put my hand in it. 
but of course I'd want it. And then I'd buy a pack of hot dogs and I'd be like, Oh, just toss the hot dogs out. <laughs> just toss, test. like throwing it. Like that, that gif of like that girl with all the hot dogs hitting her face. Yeah. That's what the, just put a table saw blade yeah. in place of her face. Oh, uh, but now of course the catch is that when you actually go through the rest of the video, you do see that the table saw blade is an officially completely mangled garbage and you'd you'd have to replace the brake and the blade so you've just lost like $50 blade and then probably I'm going to assume a 50 to $100 brake or whatever they have for the brake pad for it cuz it's like a I little think so? yeah it's like a hard it's like hard brake but with the way that when I saw the video or at least the portion I saw I'm assuming it's the same video probably you watch the blade go in and essentially the blade like gets mangled around the brake. So, I mean, unless you want to like uh, bang the brake out of there, gotcha, yeah. you have a high probability of it being like the blade is garbage, period. Right. You, you will never get that to work again. Yeah. Nor should you try. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just keep your blades sharp. Rule of thumb. Don't try and cut things or rip anything with a dull blade because like that's that's probably the most important rule of anything with any saw. Just don't use a dull blade. Right. And how do you know a blade is dull? Yeah, I don't know, you just know. You can just it stops, tell. It just stops cutting. In, Not a, in a good way. Completely, but. Yeah. In a, like if it takes you longer than you remember it taking you to cut something, replace like get a new blade or just get it sharpened mm -hmm. and the sharpening is so much cheaper anyway um, all right that's enough woodworking <laughs> yes plenty that's plenty of woodworking um let's uh let's parlay this into uh can we do technical debt can we talk about that yes i did not read this this link that i put in here well that's okay is it really necessary? I mean, we both know we wanted to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Let, That's let's, really let's, what it boils down to. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about um let's talk about the fact that there is good and bad technical debt. Because yeah. I think a lot of a lot of experienced people are are used to hearing about technical debt in a negative fashion, in a negative light. And yeah. I think that's important to 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 recognize. Um, so maybe maybe we'll start there. But I think there is good tech, good technical debt. Okay. So why don't you tell me what you feel good technical debt is? Okay. Okay. So I think good technical debt is um, like not fully optimizing all your queries. That's a great technical for debt. performance. You know, yeah. I I think that. Um, that, that is, I think that's a, that can be applied that that same principle can be applied to a lot of portions of the application. So for like memory management or processing, um, you know, there's some smart things you ought to do just mm -hmm. because you ought to do them. They, they cost you nothing. Um, you know, to write them differently would actually incur the negative kind of technical debt and yeah. take longer, the, you know, those kinds of things. Um, you know, like, uh, use proper indexes. You know what I mean? Like yeah, just, yeah. those are, those are normal things. Um, but like, I think going overboard with trying to make sure that every query is as fast as it can possibly be all the time is, 
is not necessary. I think right. it's a good, I think so, it's a great aspiration. I think it's cool uh, to yeah. do that. But, but I think like, I know that with our project that we're doing, like we're finally getting around to doing that and we're two years in. Yeah. Right. I mean, with and we're finally many developers. To, yes. With, with there, with a lot of, so developers. like, you know, let's, let's talk about the first, cause before, like I, I'm digging mm-hmm. where we're going with this, but I feel like it's good to go over. Let's, let's go actually and review. What is some majorly bad technical debt? Because here's, and, and what we're going to revolve around a lot with a lot of this is you're balancing trade-offs. And this is the bottom line of all developers is you're balancing right. trade-offs every single day you work on code. And we mm-hmm. all know it. You look at it, what the business requirement is or the tech requirement is, and, and you have to just say, how fast can I get this done? And what is good enough? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as you're making that choice, that's when you start incurring tech debt mm-hmm. immediately. Right. Um, and I think there's really obvious bad spots of tech debt. And I think more often than not bad tech debt is trying and it's, it's more of a, a process that leads to it, in my opinion. And maybe you can give me some more tech details about this, Patrick. But I'm gonna try and explain the process that I think leads to bad tech debt. And this is where we, we kind of tie into what you were just talking about. There's a segue process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the process that leads to bad tech debt is when developers are given requirements to do X and then they will overthink X and try to make the ultimate solution to X only to run at a time and have to hack together what becomes the solution to X instead of starting at the beginning and saying, what's the simplest way I can solve the problem with the least amount of code possible. Because my thought process is when you go hardcore in the big scope of mindset, you dig into trenches in various areas and you start mucking around with things without having a full mapping of that. And when you're doing it on a first draft of a concept, you're asking for trouble because you're just going to create bigger and bigger scopes of tech debt because you've now messed with something over here and you've messed with something over there. And when you have a team of 10 developers, working on similar aspects, they're branching off of your, you know, tinkerings and it gets worse and worse and worse in scales. Whereas when you start really simple and say like, what's the least amount of code I can write to solve the problem or, or fulfill the requirement, you, you have a better path to a happy place. I see where you're coming from. And I respectfully disagree. Ooh. Um, because I, I have seen technical debt um, uh-huh. of Leviathan proportions <laughs> <laughs> come out of both of those scenarios, honestly. Um, oh, okay. The, the idea that over-engineering um, is a source of technical debt is by far true. Um, uh, you know, 
Yeah. I don't need to go far into an analogy for anyone who has any amount of experience <laughs> to either be this person or have known this person. Uh, I am both <laughs> where, <laughs> where you find some new programming pattern and you're like, cool, everything is this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everything is a service pattern. Um, but uh, you know, you can go down that road and really over-engineer a lot of things because you've taken something that was fairly simple um, or at least fairly straightforward and you extrapolated it out so that it can be reused. It's yeah. dry. It follows solid principles and, um, and it's, it's, it's highly refactorable, mm. but you're so tied into the architecture of it that if you do anything outside of the scope of what that that ask was right it 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 becomes a monster because it's like it's like you have this perfect machine but if any gear or lever comes out of place or needs to be moved the whole machine needs to be re- reconfigured right um and so that can that can become i see but i but i find that technical debt to be um it's almost like that type of technical debt is most dangerous early on in a project when you don't really know what your features are going to be yet and you're not refining them. You're just building new features. Yeah. Um, I think the other side of that is building, building something with the, with the smallest amount of code necessary to accomplish the, the, the task or the goal or whatever. I think that that's a good principle to live by. Uh, And so I don't, I don't disagree that that's a great place to come from, but I also find that like that particular statement doesn't offer the kind of guidance or boundaries that m- people need in order for them mm-hmm. to write something that is readable and usable and reconfigurable and refactorable by someone else. Right. And not to say that like those people who originally wrote it are stupid or bad developers. No. Um, but, but just that like my idea of the minimum amount of code to write something and your idea of the minimum amount of code to write something is different. Well, of um, course. Yeah. Well, was it, was I talking to you about the, um, no, um, somebody else we work with, mm-hmm. um, Brandon, he's mm-hmm. like, Hey, like basically what, basically what we were doing is we were sending an array of values yeah. of key values, a key value pair. So it's, it's a list. Um, we are sending that into a function. And then the right. function was checking a class property that is also an array. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So what it does is it matches the key up to the other key um, yeah. in the class. And then that class manages which um, instant, instance of a different type of class gets instantiated, gets called. Sure. So... Um, Originally, somebody wrote the minimum amount of code to make it work, and it was if this is the key, then call this on mm. the stat on the static property. If this is the key, then do this. If right. that's the key, do this. If it's nothing, throw an exception. Right. So it was just a consistent okay. amount of if if this yeah, is that like if that three or four yeah. if statements, um, which isn't terrible. It's totally readable, nope. but. Yeah it's totally repetitive and it's not something that we should engage in. You know, it's like switch statements. Right. I'm a fan of switch statements, but I, I've, I've maybe written two of them in the last eight years yeah. because I use them sparingly. They're, they're not, they're, they're useful, but you need to limit them anyway. Of um, course. <clears throat> then, so, so Brandon was, Brandon and I were talking about it. We came across it and we were, we added that to the list of things that we needed to refactor and all of this. 
And, uh, and then he came back to me. He's like, uh, cause we were like, Oh, well let's just do like in array. Let's just return in array, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I was like, Oh yeah, cool. That, that, that should work. But we didn't know that the parameter being sent in was an array of, of key value pairs. We thought it was just uh, an array of values. Okay. Okay. That, that we're all matching. So anyway, mm-hmm. he sends me a thing. He's like, Hey, this was the best I could see. And basically what we, what we did was we turned um, the class property into a collection we grabbed the keys, we called keys on the collection. Mm-hmm. And then we looped through each one of the keys and checked those keys to the array. And then we called it if we called whatever the value was when that when we hit that key in the array. Right. And that was Brandon's like, what do you think about this? And I'm like, that's better. But <laughs> here's the one liner. Um, and it's straight PHP. And it's array intersect keys first array, second array. Yeah. Right. Cause all you're checking for in this particular function is whether or not the keys that you're, the keys for the values you're sending in exist in the class set. Right. Oh. So, that the, so that the other function can call the correct thing and you have right. to, you know, so anyway, <coughs> excuse me, all that, um, you know, all that to say that, none of those um, solutions are wrong. No. They all work. Yeah. They all pass tests. Um, two of them are really one-liners. Um, but, but what does that really mean when it comes to like readability? You know, it, it all mm. depends. Like all of these things are like highly dependent. Um, now I would, I would suggest that my final solution, and of course I'm highly biased here, but I would say that my final solution was the best because you could look at that one line of code and you know exactly what it does because there, every, every ounce of it was a raw PHP function. None of it. You didn't need to know anything about a framework. You didn't need to know anything about logic or anything. It just stated exactly what it did. Well, this is, and this is where you get into the complexities with any sort of tech that in relation to, pulling in various frameworks in order to try and solve problems in what we call the most efficient way. Yeah. And And so like, exactly like that, that's, so that's where I come at it with this, um, with my disagreement with you is that I think that you can pile up a tremendous amount of technical debt, you know, like mm -hmm. lots of, lots of control structures um, can be, can can litter your code where it becomes almost unreadable or you have nested ifs that are eight levels deep or whatever. Yeah. Um, because you're not, you're not adhering to a boundary or a standard. And <clears throat> I think that the single greatest um, advantage you can have to avoid technical debt is a very competent and knowledgeable um, like, not a not not necessarily a project manager, but a technical a technical director, like a tech mm. a tech lead, um, yeah. a, somebody who's versed in being a developer knows exactly the technology you're working in, yeah. um, and also knows. I you know it's it's so difficult to to pin down exactly because like like Luis is somebody like this for us, you know, a, a person yeah. who's highly available who you can call on does his own work but also you can call on him and he knows a tremendous amount about the application and he knows a tremendous amount about PHP and Laravel. 
and he can just sort of like be like, well, here, go to this document and tells you everything you need to know about the standard for this. Or in the past we've done this, or here's a good example of something we've refactored three times already that does the same thing or does something. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's going to be, um, you know, the best way to mitigate technical debt, in my opinion, just yeah. because y- you don't always want, I, the, I think the, the biggest thing is that you don't want anyone, even if you're the only developer on the project and you own the code, like it's your project and it's your SAS or whatever. Yeah. The biggest problem with that is <clears throat> allowing the developer you or whoever else your giant team of 15 people to make their make all of their own decisions about what is the right code to to write the correct Mm. code to write um without any guidelines or standards yeah like even if it's just you and you set up your own standards you know like i'm doing this psr2 psr12 uh and i'm going to follow laravel coding guidelines um you know even if that's just your start yeah 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 anyway so i i just i i think that the the negative technical debt um is best mitigated that way and not necessarily by um writing simple code or writing complex code i don't i don't think either one of those right that's fair no that's fair matter the most anyway you know yeah because i've also seen solutions where it's like um you know, something, something that's like a brand new project, but it's like highly engineered, like highly architected with like interfaces. And, you know, in order to do anything, you have to come off of an interface or you have to write an interface for it. Um, Those can be, can be really highly configurable, highly refactorable. And and it can restrict, they can be a nightmare, (laughs) but if they're, if they're done, if they're done smartly, they can be, they can prevent a lot of technical debt when multiple people are working on them. Cause it's like, you have to follow this interface, you know, you have yeah. to write two functions. And so you're, you're controlling, you're programmatically controlling uh, structure code structure. Yeah. From what's possible and right. the way things have to be set. Yeah. No, I can see that. Um, Cause I, I recently had to do a full upgrade on one of the applications that I handle and um, the entire, so it was using PHP spreadsheet, I want to say, or no, the Laravel Excel one. Anyway, it was using three different packages to do three different things with spreadsheets um, for reasons I don't know, but I had a very limited time span. So I chose to not try and convert them all to one because that would be way too much work but instead just upgrading them all to be Laravel six plus compatible. Mm-hmm. However, I hit a lovely snag along the way, which led to a layer of complexity because the one had no definitive upgrade pattern. You had to just literally redo it. Um, they had a few guidelines of like key, you know, replacements for method names. Um, but it was a huge new layer of, new interface structures and multiple objects within objects to feed down through to do simplified methods. And once, if you were using that from the beginning, that's great. But like trying to refactor to be able to upgrade something like that was a massive debt. 
in terms of what it was, mm -hmm. right? And that that's just a you just can't get out of that. Like that's that's like just yeah. the dark side of the internet <laughs> and open source code is that open source developers don't owe you anything. They have no rules to follow in terms of what they have to do. And sometimes they will make something that is a complete overhaul and you have no choice. Yeah. That's an interesting aspect of it too, of just um, proper deprecation, you yeah. know, uh, because obviously I don't know if there was proper depre deprecation or anybody was paying any attention to the deprecation, but you know, not, not just deprecation, but also, um, communication of those deprecations in yeah. your documentation, like in your readme at the top, you know, like, yeah. Well, um, I mean, a, another good example of deprecations as a matter of fact is on that same project uh, with Brandon, there was a, uh, we were upgrading to Laravel seven and there was a little quirk discovered in that, uh, that Louise had noticed. And so I then, I actually took a little few second check on like, oh, I wonder what it needs now. And when I checked out the class, and it's a symphony class for the symphony process mm -hmm. thing, and they're like, oh yeah, this is officially deprecated as a version X. So they give you the exact version that this is officially deprecated in, and therefore will be removed by version X. Mm -hmm. And they're like, if you wanna just do a, a straight replacement, use this new method right below it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, let's, let's just copy paste this across our system because that's way less than new array injection dependencies, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> like, yeah, keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so strange working with open source projects. Uh, it's it's very much a double-edged sword you're right there's yeah there's no there's it's a it's the wild west you know well it's it cool be because major, it's free yeah <laughs> you know but, but at the major, same time like they're not beholden to anybody right yeah and and because of that it's a major source of tech debt over time it can and be, i'd argue yeah. that is sometimes what i would qualify as like good tech debt yes is upgrading dependencies is, is that's beautiful tech debt because more often than not, cross my fingers, yeah, <laughs> on wood, uh, it's usually documented. It's usually, and and I mean, one of the other things about that is it like expecting an open source developer, whomever, to be up to date to the hour of a release of a new version of another dependency is really overkill. It is way overkill. And, and I mean, I've dealt with that for the last like three years now. Yeah. And it's just unnecessary, but it, it's something to think about that that's actually like your best level of tech debt. If mm -hmm. you are delayed in upgrading a version of Laravel by a week, that's not the end of the world. You don't have to do it the day it's released. Well, and that's, I feel like that's a part of, that's a part of your job as a developer, a lead, a whatever, is mm -hmm. not upgrading your primary framework and then updating your dependencies. Like, right. you need to go out and make sure, like, this is of course just make my a test branch. Your mileage and, may vary, yeah. but 
personally, I, I go through every single dependency first and I go, okay, if I'm updating to this, I got to update to that. You know, okay. If I update to this, what's in their documentation, what changed, what's different. Right. Um, do they even have an upgrade path for this? You know, that kind of stuff, because if they don't, then you need to go back and you just be like, Hey, you know, this particular, uh, highly necessary dependency does not have an upgrade path yet. Yeah. Uh, we need to, we need to take a step back and either fork it and upgrade it ourselves, take off our yeah. own thing or, you know, whatever happens we need to do. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that this was properly illustrated by that one dude, that, that NPM package guy, uh, that did left pad. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and he had like right pad and like a bunch of other things yeah. and he just like unpublished left pad because he was done. I think he was just like done with it yeah. or something. He was like he over it. He was just, yeah, yeah, he was just over everything. And I think that that's a really good lesson for the rest of us because it's like, are all your dependencies truly necessary? Um, well, yeah. You know, are you, are you pulling in a dependency for a thing that you could probably like write with a function? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we like throw out dependency, all our dependencies in our, no. in our frameworks and like write everything from, you know, vanilla PHP, but, yeah. but at the same time, you know, again, it's, it's kind of going back to the, my example with Brandon and, and, uh, and that collection chain that he created. Yeah. It was great. It was pretty readable. Um, and it, but it, and it leverage collections, you know, leverage collect the global, you know, global function collect. Um, but, you know, going back to just vanilla PHP and just writing, writing it with that. I mean, yeah. now it doesn't, it doesn't rely on anything. It relies on right. the PHP being there. Yeah. Um, so. It, it's a tough balance, but, it, sure. and it, but it is, a, it's a trade-off and, and it's a matter of. But, but uh, what you were saying before, you are a hundred percent right that more often than not 95% of the time you are going to upgrade your dependencies and have zero issues. And yeah. that is positive. That is, that is good technical debt because you oh, are incurring technical yeah. debt. As we've mentioned, you know, you're yeah. incurring technical debt by, by adding a new, a new dependency to your project. Yep. Um, it's something to, to, to upgrade something to consider. You have mm -hmm. to, you know, inform everyone about it make sure well, like, everyone's familiar with its uses and, you know, and there's, there's well, a lot there's, to Yeah. And there's architectural documentation in some cases mm -hmm. in terms of, of like, why are we using this thing and what are the, what are the extractions from it versus doing it ourselves? There, there yeah. are key things that should be well noted. Um, but then there, and then there's like, cause then there, there's so many other types of technical debt too, cause there's scaling technical debt and everything else. And I mean, sometimes those are good technical debts. Um, I had one recently where I thought, you know, I, I was thinking way ahead of the scheme. I thought I was so smart and I was writing, there was multiple layers of events triggering events and everything was beautifully choreographed that I shouldn't have any problem having all these things go into a Redis instance and then my workers will just plow through this over time until I discovered that by doing some math, ballpark averages, that I was going to generate 40, 42 to 56 million jobs for it to process. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that 
that a 13 gigabyte elastic, elastic cache instance of Redis on AWS is an insufficient amount of storage, <laughs> which I would have never thought that 13 gigs was insufficient for, for 58 or so million items. But honestly, you hit like 350,000 and it's like, yeah, and we're out of space. And it's like, yeah. oh, well, I, oops. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that just became a rabbit hole of understanding. But yeah, yeah it, it's, keep it simple. I, sure. I still think is, is your best bet. I, I do, I do, um, I do agree wholeheartedly with the underlying aspect of that particular like standpoint though that you were that you kind of started off with of like mm. write the simplest amount of code you know etc cetera, etc cetera. i do think that you should start with the simplest approach yeah you know you should definitely like start with the feature ridden <laughs> yeah the, the like this is i think this was the the main um sort of draw for me for tdd I, I still love TDD. Um, I do not practice it, but, uh, but I really, I, I would, yeah. um, if I were required to, I would not complain. Um, but it's like you, you flesh out the feature, you write the test for the feature and then you let it fail. And then yeah. you write your code until it passes, you know? Right. I like that, that, um, that philosophy of coding because it's yeah. like you're not writing anything at, you're not like oh well what if we had this primary control structure over here that lets you do all this crazy stuff so that right this could be one aspect of it it's like well i don't think that's necessary like maybe but like, let's just write this one thing in a way where if we need this big control structure over here, yeah. it would easily plug into it or easily be extractable out to it. You know, there's so much, um, I think that's why I said like somebody who's like a competent technical lead is your, is your main combat to yeah. type is because it just takes, it honestly like, it takes failing so many times. Yeah in so many applications to, un to just kind of wrap your head around the process of, of how you do it in a smart way. Cause you're never yeah. going to not, you're never going to have zero technical debt. As well, no. You and write a line of code. You, yeah. You know, the, the second you write a line of code, you have incurred technical debt. Yeah. You know, <laughs> whether that's mental or, or specific technical, like right. there's a variance there. And I also think that it's funny because or I think there's a degree of, this and you see it more with PR reviews with teams who have the capacity to do PR reviews. You have a higher probability of of locating technical debt before it becomes technical debt. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because, and it's almost like a, a way of encouraging, even if you're the only one working on your own project, make it a PR and make yourself review it afterwards because you don't most people don't publish stuff until they've edited it, you know, and, and most books have an editor, yeah. you know? So like, there's a reason for that. And, it, and the reason is that there are so many little things that can be 
like you could as a as an oversight you can just they can be an oversight and so I think there is something to be said for taking the time to review something before you really, you know, fully commit. Yeah. As it were. I wonder if there's a, if there's a, um, some good amount of value in, uh, like, like let's say you work on a project by yourself. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you, you, you have that situation. Lots. in, in certain <laughs> I wonder if there's value in like setting up a system for yourself where you write code and you set up like a specific amount of time before you're allowed to review it. So like you write that code, right? Yeah. And then say, okay, I'm going to wait at least 24 hours before I review my own code. You put Mm. the, or until like from the PR, from the time I PR, I'm going to wait exactly 24 hours before I actually review my own code. I wonder if there's value in that because like you kind of step yourself away yeah. from your own and, yeah. mindset at the time you move on to something else. You're writing something else. You, you, it's like, I always tell people I'm like a week. That's like 50 years in internet time because you know, people ask me like, Oh, what did you write this? It's like, uh, it's, it looks like my code, you yeah. know? And it's like, do a get blame and they get blame. And it's like yeah. three months ago. And I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I wrote that three months ago. I was a different Past guy. Past me wrote what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> me when I was when I was six years old wrote that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Um, you could I'll do, do my best. Hook. You could tie a you because we got the the get oh, events. Oh, true that. So you yeah. could you could do an event hook where you trigger a notification because you if you caught the event at the mm-hmm. moment of generating a PR, you could then trigger a notification for 24 hours post the minute yeah. of that and therefore and what i would what i would die to see not die but would be really cool to <laughs> well, see well then you wouldn't see it <laughs> yeah what i'd really like to see and i think it's a neat concept for github to do is enable a um like pr is like review ready feature kind of the way they did them with drafts so they've got like a draft mode yeah. of a pr and it would be interesting to see if you could have it like this PR has to be in a review state for a specific, like for a minimum of a period of time before, before it's allowed to, to merge it in. Yeah. Interesting. Because then it's like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard when you have like people being able to approve and stuff, but it, there's yeah. a, I, feel I know like they a, have like an approval, um, an approval boundary. So you'd have to have at least okay. one person approver or if like, yeah. if there's multiple approvers, you have to have everyone approve before it goes yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. I think that's handy. I like that. Idea. Oh, for sure. Um, but I think there's something to be said for that. But it's tough concept. when you do it by yourself. Yeah. When you're doing yeah. it by yourself, like I, I've done projects by myself where I'm like, let's just commit to master. Like, you know, yeah. if yeah, I mess like, up, I'll just go back to the hash, you know? Right. And, um, there, but that'd be uh, interesting to see if you could do that where, because you can automatically just prevent you from committing to master or whatever the main branch right, is. Yeah. But then it'd be interesting to see if you could force a delay of merging a commit. That's I think an interesting less, concept. I think it's less helpful for teams. Oh, very much. Yeah. You know, because on a team, it's like, you don't want to have to prov- you don't want to have to wait a day yeah. To, to, to merge a PR that another person has already said, yeah, this is good. Cause yeah, what if it's true. just a text change? Yeah. 
you know what I mean? Or something small. Anyway, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm of course being a little bit extra pedantic, but. Um, Ooh, but then, but hold on, you know, you could also do, you could do a com, you could do a complexity analysis. <laughs> so if you did a complexity analysis of the, the state of the app pre PR and then uh, post PR, you could then say this PR introduces X amount of complexity and therefore must uh, require X number of that, reviewers. That my friend is a great idea. Boom. Boom. Because you can do a complexity analysis you can. and you can set a threshold. If you could set a threshold on your complexity yes. analysis that says like, Ooh. if it's over this level of complexity, uh, it requires it, this it, much it, review. Yeah, yeah. It requires this much time or this, this many reviewers or oh, oof. that's juicy. That's cool, man. That's, that's a cool, cool idea. idea. I don't know if that's the idea. But no, that's like, I don't know. I'm just saying that's a cool, that's the, that's the ugly larva breaking free yeah. from the egg. You know, hey, if somebody sure. wants to make that, I'll subscribe. Maybe, <laughs> probably. Somebody from GitHub Cost is pending. listening. You're yeah. wasting your time because we're not, <laughs> we're not nearly as smart as you are. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, Brent wrote this whole complexity engine thing. He, he could do it. Yeah? What, yeah. What, what, did he, what did he do it for? Oh, he did it for fun. He no, literally I mean, like, tried to... What did he write the complexity? Like, what is the... like? What oh, is he it? was just trying to build like a the official global engine of complexity analysis for code in general. He was trying to go gotcha. like to the moon, right? Ah, and, and he had this huge thing going on with it. For those of you who have no idea who I'm talking about, Brent is a guy I've worked with off and on for many years and is awesome at writing code. That's Brent Lintner. We're going to plug people now. I'm going to beep that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we say his name, I'm just gonna it's gonna be beep. <laughs> That'd be fun. We should do that for everybody we work with. It's just like beep, 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 uh -huh. beep. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I I that's I've, smart. I've been I've been playing around with beeps a lot. <laughs> uh, they're fun. Oh, I was they're gonna fun. do another plug in this because I actually it, it does have to do with technical debt to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um as soon as you start, plug. it's gonna the beep is gonna start, and then yeah. you're, it's it's gonna end when you're done plugging. That's fine. Okay. So, the the <laughs> app I want to plug is, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I presume the pronunciation is Hilo, um, but it's from Mar Marcel Mar Marcel. I uh, I don't want to try and butcher his pronunciation. He's he's out of France. He's in the Laravel entourage north 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 americans are no good at pronounce pronouncing french things yeah and like even marcel yeah. Pucot, something to that effect it, yeah it'd be a c it'd be a, a soft c most likely in french but um anyway the point is the app how do you is say freaking, a soft c in french s, like s, oh like an s noise okay yeah like francais oh i see what you mean yeah yeah, man. I mean, uh, do you ever um, do you ever have moments where you're like, "Wow, I'm really that stupid"? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> um, it's not my wheelhouse. Yeah, I want to make sure. I want to look at his name here quickly. Uh, oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, Marcel Posse. I don't know how to say it. Anyway, Marcel was the one who wrote the uh, Hilo and. 
just, I'm just saying there are things that I've, so I started using this to be able to track emails and actually solve some problems with actual emails in some apps that I work on. And there are all sorts of quirks that I didn't really realize I was doing in some emails in terms of links that just would never work and, and things like that. And actually having a simple platform to just spin up on my own system for $29 and just be able to hit it with any emails for my local environment is a, just the most beautifully wonderful tool. Like this to me is as, as game changing as valet was after being able to finally say, all right, I'm done with home, uh, homestead after being a hardcore homestead guy for quite a while. Uh, yeah, that can definitely solve some problems for some people. That's all I'm going to say about that. Thumbs up. I had to, I had to mute for a second. I have, um, uh, crying visitor crying. children. Yeah. I don't have that. Yeah. Nope. I do not have that. (laughs) You don't, you don't, you do not have that particular problem. Nope. And solution. Uh, But you know, you know what I do have? I do have problems with view X. That's what I, you know, I think we should save this for next time. Okay. Um, That's going to be our introduction to next topic. Yeah. We're we're going to talk about technical debt with view X and other view components um, and our experience with them. Yeah. Next time on almost almost famous. There you go. (laughs) Did at the same time. Psych. Um, Yeah. So I, this was an interesting talk about, I, I I feel like every time we have a podcast, there's just like four more hours of talking that we could do. Oh, easily. I think it's actually, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of technical debt. I, no, I really honestly think that we need, like I'm, I'm moving these topics across. (laughs) Yeah. But I think we need to change. I think we just need to stop using Trello because it seems like you're over it. Yeah. I'm Um, done Trello. So I think what we need to do is um, do series. I think that would be yeah. fun. Like do that a series cool. where we yeah. talk like, like this one, like, dude, we barely scratched the surface of isolation. Oh, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we should have done a series. We should do series of things. Like this is on, you know, this is the isolation series. This is the technical debt series. This is the, uh, you know, whatever series. I wonder that like that's a really neat concept. One of the things I still wanted to mull on was what sort of release schedule we want to try and stick with. And then outside of the release schedule is do we want to do like a seasonality thing? So like we only record or we record every other week for let's say six months, but we only release for a few months of the year and stuff like, you know what I'm saying? Or if we record it all year long, oh, we only release for six months of the year. So then that way we have a, we, we build up a bulk yeah. supply of them. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about isn't so time sensitive. And I actually think that we're better off to do the least time sensitive content. I, I really like that idea. I like having like a six or eighth month, eight month release schedule and yeah. then just recording all year long. Yeah. Um, 
But I think at this point, because we've already started the podcast, oh, it yeah. doesn't make any sense to stop no. so that we can do those that, that year of recording and then release for eight months. Um, oh, no, no. It wouldn't be a stop. That's, that's the hard part. It'd be like we do from now until like, it, let's say in like, I don't know, pick a random month and we just say, right, okay, November. that's the end of our season. So November is the end of this season we pick back up again in X, but we still record. So now we have like a, it gives us like a two month or a three month window of stockpiling episodes. True that. So it's a thought. I like it. Um, Maybe what we can do is keep on with these sort of like random topics just so we can flesh Mm -hmm. out some series ideas. Yeah. And we'll start, um, like we'll, we'll say like, keep a lookout for our series, like all of our listeners right now, all <laughs> six of you, including yeah. myself, um, <clears throat> keep a lookout. Cause we're going to do a tech debt series. Um, and portions of this episode will probably be in the introduction. Yeah. Um, and we'll just keep doing these weird rando scratch the surface episodes. And then maybe we I can start getting maybe you and I can start getting together and doing series episodes in between. Mm. Right. So let, we can get started on that stockpile. Yeah. And then once we have a series done, we just release the series on a schedule every like week. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Because I know we do these like once a month, pretty much like that's kind of like where we settled with it, but mostly that's because both Matt and I are flaky with each other. And yeah. we're and we're fine with that. Like neither one of us is highly ambitious. Oh, to, it's, uh, it's timing. It is. It's totally timing. And with and like, I also think it, it takes time to get enough, like enough of an audience where you don't want to miss out on delivery every other week or something like right. that. Yeah, dude, um, I, I I'm in, I'm impressed. Have you looked at our transistor numbers? I I have I have time. Gosh, Matt. Let me do it again. Matt. Let me look. I'll look. I'm getting there. For what it counts, it's also because I've been kicked out of everything on Chrome like three times in the last while. And it we have 112 all-time what? downloads. All-time downloads. Wow. That's not a. That's not great, but it's it's something for six episodes. That's, yeah. And like, and like, I mean, maybe maybe eight of those downloads are me. I'm gonna say like four army i'm more of a put it out there and just the voice review it you just like to talk i do i love talking i could do i could sit and talk for days and days and days so we have four subscribers i'm one of 35 downloads in march in may man we have we have downloads this month we have Good six downloads us. this month. We haven't even put out an episode and we have six downloads this month. Canada is 16%. Mm-hmm. The US, 35. Brazil. Oh, that's clearly Luis. Uh, yes, probably. Because he's listened to every single one of our episodes. Oh, that's nice. Um, I'm sure. England, that's Who's probably... listening in Australia? That's what I'm curious about. There's eight oh. downloads, which means it's more than maybe more than one person. Yeah, and Pakistan is clearly uh, Saeed. Saeed, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think I Finland. actually do think the one in Thailand it was me because I think my digital uh, VPN server is yeah. VPN through Thailand. Uh, okay. Denmark is clearly Andreas. There's a there's a Denmark. Oh, there is a Denmark. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But why would he have listened to all of our episodes twice? Ooh, interesting. So maybe he's got a friend that he has oh. shared. Oh, We're that's branching. another thing. If you're We're listening branching. to our podcast right now, if you've made it this far, you're a diehard. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're still recording. You're nice. a diehard. And you're listening to us ramble about nothing. <laughs> I want you to share this with a friend and tell them that it's the best thing you've ever heard. Yes. Of two guys <laughs> crawling through their, their short number of listeners and yes. guessing on who do bragging, they know. <laughs> bragging about how all the people they work with have listened to them probably once. Uh, yeah. Give or take. I mean, when you press the play button, <laughs> it technically counts it as a download, counts I think. As, yeah. And so they probably listened to five minutes and was like, these guys are fools. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. So, uh, Mr. Matt, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter uh, at Matty Lance or on GitHub at M. Lance. And Lance Thanks. is L-A-N-T-Z. That's Z. Z yeah. for all you real true blue. and what about yourself patrick guess what i did oh what's that i changed my twitter handle (gasps) what'd you change it to you can find me at dr pod devlo doctor no does it no what oh dr dr yeah dr pod devlo oh i see now yep oh look at that you actually put a smiling face of you. It is on me and, my, and one of my sons. We went to we went on, the last time we went to Disney World. We wrote. He he's like he is. He loves carousels. This kid oh, loves cool. carousels. Every time we see a carousel, yeah. he wants to ride it. So we were at Disney, <laughs> and it was like technically like nap time. If we were at home, it would have been nap time. But he's uh, a wild animal, so he just like won't take a nap if he doesn't have to. <laughs> and his brother and his sister were like zonked out in the strollers. Yeah. And he saw that carousel. He's like, daddy, can we go ride the carousel? I'm like, totally. It's just me and you. Let's go. <laughs> so we left the, the other, the, the brother and the sister with uh, the grandparents and my wife and we went and rode the carousel. So anyway, that's awesome. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun time, man. That's good. So yeah, you can find me uh, at Dr. Pod Devlo um, and PD Devins on GitHub. Uh, I have nothing there that, displays any of my code so good luck that's fine there's there's a really great repo for great gifts that i have curated over the years um it's called great dash gifts uh if you'd like to become a contributor just let me know and i will let you i'll give you full right access and you can (laughs) upload you can put in a pr for uh for whatever gifts you like um no holds barred i want to see this Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I made it at my last job. Uh, not my last oh. job, job before that maybe. I don't know. I made it a long time ago when I, when I realized hey, that job. emojis no longer contained the kinds of emotions that I have. <laughs> so I needed to find more accurate representations of my emotions when I was speaking through That's text fair. or through Slack or whatever. So I started yeah. finding GIFs and I'm like, oh, this GIF is like a feeling I have, you know? like Coolio turning around and putting on a pair of sunglasses or (laughs) 
uh, or Obama hopping on a skateboard and sliding across the UN building. There, I've now starred your great gifts Perfect. repo. Perfect. You have one fan. I have more than one fan. I meant on this repo. Oh, okay. Yeah. I meant on this repo. <laughs> Actually, isn't there two forks on that repo? There's one fork. One fork. So, yes. Oh, uh, Jason. To work with. Yeah. Or wait, who nope. is that? Jason Enter. Jason Enter. Yeah. Oh, I got to beep his name out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I showed it to him the other I posted a GIF in there. He's like, that's fantastic. And I'm like, I have a whole repository of them. He's like, you get out of here. So I sent it to him. And yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Cool, man. Oh, I can play with this. As always, it is a pleasure to talk Absolutely. to you. Uh, about tech stuff and um i hope you have a good weekend yeah you too it is friday it is it's friday this will probably release like i'll release it Uh, next friday so people think that i actually did it on time smart yeah (laughs) (laughs) cool man awesome